Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to the Underdog Podcast, your home for AAC football, your home for group of five football, you name it, we want to talk about it. I am your host, Joe Brobeck. With me, as always, is Dan Morrison. Dan, uh, thanks for covering me while I was on vacation, although you got to talk UCF football, so I don't think you really had too hard of a time while I was gone. Yeah, it was nice to set that clock up a few days because, you know, the U is at the back of the alphabet, so I was holding out hope that we get to do it early. There you go. Uh, I, I, uh, I'm kind of bummed I missed out on that, but it sounds like you guys had a good time uh, and we'll obviously keep trucking along here. Uh, we're going to do uh, things a little bit different just because we're running out of a little bit of time. Um, so we're going to the next two episodes will be two teams combined and then uh, we'll do the final episode would be one team. Uh, I don't remember what we decided for those last two episodes, but we'll just figure it out as we go. It's fine. Yeah. Um, I think if we keep alphabetical order, that means the bulls get their own episode. Oh, but, I don't, you know. I don't know if we have enough to talk about there. Oh wait. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some left something. Uh, we have obviously Tulsa and Tulane and USF left. Uh, so oh, dude, you just got for, you can't see it, but Dan just did horns down. So our <laughs> podcast just got flagged for 15 yards. Hey, that's not ruling the American TCU, Oklahoma state, Iowa state, Kansas, whoever comes over to the American can do horns down all they want at USF. No one's going to throw a flag on it. Right. Seriously. Uh, maybe I should tweet that out. This is a horns down podcast. Uh, but anyways, today we're, yeah, right. We're, uh, we're talking SMU and temple. Those are the two teams that we will talk about today. Uh, Dan, who do you, who do you want to start with? Uh, I, there's a clear way to do this. And either you start with the one who sucks or the one who's really good. All right. Well, and let's talk I about the one that uh, really sucks then. I would love to. Let's talk about Temple. Here's the thing. Temple is just in a weird place. Uh, and the thing is, they just did their media days in the back of a bus, which is really strange. Um, I don't know how much we need to really dive into that because that kind of just fits what everybody's thinking about the program right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's an aesthetic that they've put on for themselves. But no, I mean, the thing with Temple is they were never really that good until like a decade ago. And then they got to put some good teams together. Yeah, like Al Golden, 2006, they hired and they five coaches from there on all got bigger, better jobs. And it's hard to just keep hiring coaches who you can justify get that bigger and better job, especially when you don't have all that much money coming into the program. The facilities aren't great. The location's pretty good for recruiting and all that, but the facilities just aren't there and the history isn't there. And I don't think Rod Carey's the guy. I've been more than open about that. You've been an anti-Rod Carey for a while now. Mm-hmm. I, well, here's the thing. 
when Manny Diaz walked through the door and <laughs> walked out for the other, you know, said, no, don't like the feng shui in here. I'm going to go back to South Florida. Smart were, move, to be honest. I mean, yeah. But they were just, it put them in a really tight spot where your coaching options were all of a sudden very limited. Uh, and you didn't want to have to keep this revolving door going. So they gave him, in my opinion, way too long a contract with way too big a buyout. The buyout was supposed to keep a team from, say, Rutgers or Syracuse from trying to poach him from you. But now I think it, going into year three, I believe it's $8 million to get rid of him. That's uh, a lot of money for Temple to pay a coach to not coach them anymore. So you, if you're an Alice fan, you have to hope that he turns it around. And I just don't see that happening. To, he took a Northern Illinois team that went to the Orange Bowl and regressed them back to about an eight and five-ish record every year. I know there's a conference championship at the end there. It was a weird Mac year where he won it at eight and five. I'm not so sure that that counts as a great season. Um, you know, the Temple team he inherited was eight and five last year. They were one and six. I know there were COVID issues. A lot of them at Temple. They had a lot of games canceled, a lot of players who missed time. I get that. It was also just a roster that didn't have the talent to compete in this conference. And I don't see that changing. Yeah, it's tough because Temple used to be one of those teams that was, they weren't as talented, or maybe naturally talented as other teams in the conference, but they were just so stingy and just a very tough team. And, you know, the single digit number thing that they used to do for the toughest players on the team, that really set the tone for them. And, you know, Matt Rule started or was doing it and Jeff Collins was doing it. And I don't remember if Rod Carey did it or not, but I, I think he's still doing it. It's just the attitudes left from that, that temple tough thing that they, it's like just to, different when you go through and, so many coaches too, that's hard to it, keep that culture. It, it is. And, I, and again, like I said, I'm just concerned at this point that they've got the talent to compete in the conference last year, 2021, their recruiting class was 10th, 2020 was eighth. Those are Rod Carey's uh, two most recent classes. There's been a ton of transfers out of the program, a bunch of transfers into it. I, I don't know that this team can compete with anyone, say, for maybe USF and Navy in the conference. Did I see that uh, Dewan Mathis was named the starter? You did. I was going to talk about that. Which that's, I'm, that's, I'm, I'm, I don't know, because I, uh, Tulsa also, spoiler alert, Tulsa also said that well, they didn't name Davis Brin the starter, but he's the starter. Philip Montgomery said as of today, he's the starter. Um, which I was, I was surprised. Well, let me ask you this. Are you, cause I was surprised that they would say something like that before camp really even begins. Mm -hmm. Were you surprised by that at all? I'm not surprised about Tulsa naming Davis from the starter because we saw what boomer can do a couple years ago and it wasn't that great. So you may as well get him out there and be like, work with the first teams, get all the reps. We know that we want you to at least be the guy for the future. So dive into it. A little bit more surprised at Temple because it's not like uh, Dwan Mathis was the only guy there. Riel Mitchell, uh, an Iowa State transfer from two years ago now, I think. QB1. Yeah. I mean, he was he's an athletic guy. I don't know that he's better than Dwan Mathis, but I don't see why you wouldn't keep that competition open because I saw Dwan Mathis play last year, and it was really, really bad. I mean – he looked like they picked some guy out of the stands to throw the football around. He couldn't hit anyone. Uh, the uh, game against Florida was where he got most of his playing time. And it was a little bit embarrassing for him. You know, Florida was not good defensively last year. 
uh, Georgia has the most talent in the SEC. Sorry, Alabama, Georgia's more talented, even if they're not going to beat you. Uh, their wide receivers were wide open. He couldn't hit them. You know, he had a 40% completion percentage last year, 89 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. It's a really, really bad performance. I know it's a very small sample size, but I don't see how you can be confident with that when you put him on a team with decidedly less talent around him. Yeah, it's um, <clears throat> there's not much to get excited about in terms of returning production. Uh, for, that's already on Temple's roster. Obviously, Rod Carey hit heavy in the transfer portal. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Jaden Blue will be fun to watch. Adam Klein at tackle is is solid. He's an all conference type talent. But other than that, maybe uh, I'm blanking on the tight end's name right now. Um, is it the David Martin Anderson? Yeah, he's solid too. But then you have, you know, pretty much it seems like everybody else is like a transfer because you name two of them and Mathis and Mitchell will probably still compete for the quarterback spot. Yeah. Iverson Clement comes in at running back. You have uh, Ahmad Anderson at wide receiver. It just a lot of guys. And that's just on offense. You, you know, flip it to the yeah. defensive side of the ball. They have guys there too. Is that, you know, you look at every team that's bringing in transfers. Houston's obviously done it and will continue to do it. Uh, but I feel like they're very hit or miss and the odds that temple hit on every single guy is very unlikely. No, it's, it's incredibly low. And there's a reason why everyone is transferring some guys. It might be that they got to that power five level and realized, Oh wait, these guys are all a step ahead of me and I'm not going to be able to catch up. It might be, oh, I just want to play right now. It could be that they got there and the coach kind of lied to them about what they were all about and how things were going to go down. It could, a million different things, you know, and it's not fair to speculate about any single one player as to why they might be transferring, though I think we can all pretty much guess that Mathis saw the writing on the wall that he wasn't going to be playing quarterback in Georgia anymore anyways. So he wanted to go to a lower level where he could find some playing time. Uh, But in general, you can't really, it's a guessing game and it's not a fair guessing game to the player. Uh, so some of those guys absolutely legitimately will be in a better spot at Temple than they were at their previous location. Some of them are not. Some of them are guys who maybe shouldn't even be at the FBS level and they just, you know, are sliding down that scale. Uh, so yeah, no, if you're Temple, you're hoping 50% of them are helpful players on the field this year, but you can't expect all of them to be. Right. Be anything more than that, really. Exactly. And that goes back to our point with when we were talking about Memphis. Like, there are a lot of guys. I mean, there's some guys that are coming into Temple, like Will Rogers at defensive end from Washington State. Um, even Anderson is, is exciting. Mathis, to me, I think is an exciting get for them. Um, but it goes back to our Memphis conversation where it, like, it doesn't just because you get a former power five mm-hmm. transfer doesn't automatically guarantee that you're that much better. Like yeah. we've seen in the past that it's, I would say it, overall it's below 50%, the percentage of guys that you get in the transfer portal that pan out. Well, yeah. I mean, not to nudge my friends from Tampa too hard about it, but who replaced it? Quentin flowers. It was Blake Barnett, a former five-star who started a game at Alabama. He was supposed to be this great talent that'd get there and, he couldn't read the field properly. He was always a little bit panicked, a little bit nervous, didn't make decisions quick enough. Big arm, don't get me wrong, look the part. But it never quite worked out with him at quarterback throughout South Florida. Why? Well, because he probably shouldn't have been a five-star in the first place. He probably didn't. He was misevaluated. 
there's going to be guys on this grouping who are the same way where they just, they were misevaluated at some point. Now they're on the way down. And again, to say who is who isn't fair to the players until they go out there and play, because we don't know what their individual situation was. We don't know that they didn't get to, you know, insert power five school here only for the coach to, who told them that this is how they ran things to be completely different. You know what I mean? So you, you don't know, but yeah. you do know that at least some of the guys are going to hit and some of them are going to mess. Right. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I, I don't like, I know I've been getting a lot of grief from temple fans and honestly, I, I it's not that I don't like temple. I just don't like temple this year. I, I, I really like that. They are taking a fresh approach. They're bringing in a bunch of new talent. Some of those guys I'm really excited to watch, but then again, you also still have to have that chemistry just because you bring in, even if these guys are really good, if they don't have chemistry with each other, it's not going to matter. So that's another thing to consider. Uh, it's just, I'm just more like disappointed that this has become what temple is. And it's not because I, I don't know what happened or why they all of a sudden are like this, but it, it just almost like when you look at how high they reach, I mean, they won the conference was that 2014? No, it wasn't 14. It was 16. With, with, yeah, with PJ Walker. And it was like, that was fun Temple football. And they were playing great defense. And every single year, it was four or five Temple guys are amongst the top players in the conference. And yeah, there's, like, there's no Raquel Armstead type running back there anymore. There's right. no, you know, the, the defense doesn't have that same smash you in the mouth, tough attitude on the front seven that it used to. I mean, you know, if you look at their offense last year, the guys who were pretty stable in the program who are no longer there, they were 113th in the country in points per game, 100th in yards per game. That's, that's terrible. There's no way around it. It's, it was a terrible offense with guys who were in there long-term. Now you're asking a bunch of new faces to fill in and fix that. And it's just a huge ask to even get them to average on offense this year. And I don't think they're going to get there. Right. And when we've talked about to kind of not reading too much into last year and not putting too much weight into what happened during mm -hmm. a season where everybody was affected, COVID affected everyone. And That's even fair. temple went through so many quarterbacks because mm -hmm. injuries and COVID and all that stuff. So I, I agree that we're still on the same page of, I think this is one of the worst teams in the conference, but I think if you're a temple fan, you have to be excited that last year is over. There's a bunch of brand new faces that have some talent that can come in and maybe turn things around a little bit, but I just don't see how, I don't see a bowl game for sure. And I just don't know how they're either not second to last or last. I don't know that I see a conference win. Oof. I think two and 10 is about, we're way ahead of looking whoa, at the schedule. Whoa, but whoa, I, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't way be ahead. throwing out records now. I know we're way ahead of looking at the schedule, but I've got a very low cap on their wins this year. So let me ask you this. You obviously, I know that Rod Carey is not high on your list, um, no. but what do you think that Temple sees with Rod Carey's extension, what do they think that he's going to be able to do for them? I think what you're looking at Rod Carey is a guy who can get the program to be in a very stable place over time. I think that's what they want out of him. I 
have been critical of the, at him at Northern Illinois because he took a team that was excellent and made them, in my opinion, a little bit above average. But they really didn't dip below above average. He had them very consistently at that level. So I think what Temple is to an extent being realistic with themselves about is that we're not a program that can go and get the talent that SMU or Cincinnati is going and getting right now. We need to get guys who are three stars, find those diamonds in the rough and really develop them well over time uh, and basically build a program and a cultural image to get to that stable place that really is the best case scenario for them right now is to be stable. Uh, so I think that's what they want out of him. It's just a long-term developmental project for the program. Whether or not it works out is another story, you know, being stable at, you know, three and nine ish is very different than being stable at six and six or eight and four. Right. It's very different. And, uh, it's tough for, I I don't know. It's just tough to see where they think things are going and where the, the, you know, the administration thinks that Kerry can bring them based on what he did at Northern Illinois. And then I, you know, I, I don't know, obviously it's tough when you, you, honestly, if it was, if it was Manny Diaz at this point, I think we might be talking about a very different temple team or maybe mm-hmm. a, def- a different uh, environment or experience. But, but if think... it was Manny Diaz, there's a chance we're talking about a new head coach again, because he True. clearly was not interested in staying at temple longer than it took to get a power five offer. Right. Yeah. And obviously he got, lucky. he got one before. Yeah. He got one before he had to coach a game at temple. Right. Uh, no, but I, I think Carrie again, I think it's being completely they're taking the paneling off the house and rebuilding it basically from the ground up right now. And it, it's going to show. Yeah. You got to build the foundation again. Uh, you know, the house f- fell down and you got to build, like you said, build it back up, but um, all right. Well, I, I want to dive into this schedule here because I had, I didn't look at it super close until today. And I, man, I am going to be as positive as I can, but uh, the fact, okay, I'll say this. Here's what's going to set the tone. The fact that I'm looking at this game against Rutgers and thinking instant loss is really, is really telling. It says two things. It says Rutgers is a little bit better than they have been. And we have a little bit more confidence as a college football society in Rutgers than we did two, three years ago. It also says Temple's really, really in bad shape right now, though, because Rutgers is still a team that's going to be fighting to get to four wins, even if we all think they're a lot better. Yeah, it's it, I, I agree. And you said it, Rut, Rutgers is better. It's also on the road. So it, even if Temple was good, like back in the day, still might have been a little bit more difficult win. Um, unfortunately, they're going to be competing with Boise State and UCF. So no one's going to be watching this game. Uh, but uh, I'll probably DVR it. I don't, <laughs> I don't see, is, is there a way may, I guess the only way I see a win is if the guys that they brought in are legit and they live up to the hype or at least yeah. that 50% you mentioned, that's like the only way I can yeah. see it. And then they find a way to win one. Close. Yeah. I mean, if Dewan Mathis is significantly better than he showed himself to be last year at Georgia, uh, you've got a shot. If the offensive line stays stable, you've got a shot. If the defense takes some strides, 
know, it's a lot of ifs, but I don't see it happening. Because that also, to an extent, expects Rutgers to not take the advancements everyone expects them to take. I think the scary part about this non-conference schedule is that even though I don't think Temple's going to be very good, there is a good chance that they're two and two after this. And, you know, one of those wins is against one of the worst teams in college football, not UMass, but Akron. Yeah, no, you got to beat Akron. That's week two. It's on the road. Doesn't matter. You have to beat Akron if you're Temple. You just no excuses about it. They're terrible. They are they are bad, and then they will also be. I think they'll be without their leading rusher and Tion Dollard, who was a, you know, they only had one All Max selection, and it was him. And I don't know if he, from what the sounds of it, if he's going to be playing this year or not. So yeah, you you got to beat one of the really bad teams, or it's going to be a long year because zero and two at this point. They're going, you know, if they're losing the next game against Boston College. We don't really have to discuss you see that. Smack them around a little. Yeah, it'll be it'll be ugly, uh, and especially now that Boston College can actually maybe put up some points. It, it could get got ugly. A real good quarterback wide receiver combo. That's- yep. Yep. Uh, Jerkovic and Flowers are are great uh, if they can figure out who's going to be at running back for them. Uh, I mean, it's not really going to matter when all five starting linemen are back. So the battle of the trenches is going to be probably ugly for Temple in that game. Yeah, it is. But uh, yeah, but then they'll get a little bit of a break before conference play starts. They've got an FCS team in Wagner who, again, no excuses, got to beat them. It's Young Owls Day according to their schedule. So are you going to go to Young Owls Day? I Listen, if I have to drive south or north either way through like new jersey pennsylvania i cannot go through philadelphia at all i it, it's not a city i spend time in ah man you're missing out what an experience i mean all right am i yeah so i'm i think we we agree two and two is probably where they're sitting at right here i, I guess really... The two wins are against pretty abysmal competition. So you better have at least two. And maybe if you're lucky, you surprise records, but two and two is the safe bet. Let me ask you this. What's more likely three and one or one and three, one and three. I they lose the anchor in then. Yeah. In that case, I just, I don't think that three and one's likely. I don't think that they beat Rutgers. I really don't. This is I'll be happy like, if they do. This is four games where it's like, I can't, I legitimately can't decide if, well, yeah, a three and one is. I don't. I can't decide I can't. if three and one is more likely or one and three. I don't see them losing to Akron, but I also don't see them beating Rutgers because they're not beating no. Boston College. No, I think two and two is as safe a bet in the world as you can come up with for this four game stretch. But I don't see a world where they go to a Big Ten school and win. I think I'm going to word it like that. Temple cannot go win at any Big Ten school, even if their name is Rutgers. Not this Temple team. Right. Two years ago, sure. Absolutely. Hopefully next year, sure. This year, no. Yeah, man, that's um, that's tough. Next game, a team that they normally play very tough. Feels no, like yeah. Memphis always struggles to beat Temple. And was it two years ago? We had the yeah. Joey, Joey Magnifico catch not a catch which by the way was a catch i don't care what anybody says no it was a catch and i I don't like is that is that a game that we that memphis fans need to be worried about do we want to piss off memphis fans and temple (laughs) fans in the same podcast i don't know yeah so 
yeah, two years ago, they were the only team that managed to beat Memphis on its cotton bull run. Uh, last year, they scared the crap out of Memphis uh, at the Liberty Bowl in a year where that should not have happened. Uh, we're both a little bit lower on Memphis this year. This game's at uh, Lincoln Financial Field. Which is going to be dead at that point. Yeah, I... No, I mean, no, Temple's not winning this game. I think it'll probably be closer than Memphis likes it to be because that's how these two play each other historically. But no, there's, I refuse to believe that Memphis loses to Temple next year. Right, yeah. I I think if anything, they scare him again. I don't know why Temple just has Memphis's number, but they just have a way of doing Rod it. Rod Carey know. knows the Ryan Silverfield offense or something. Something, no. I guess. Now, the next... The next game, we're not going to debate whether or not they're going to win or lose because they're obviously going to lose to Cincinnati. You shut your mouth. (laughs) They're obviously going to lose, but how how bad is that going to be? Cincinnati is this thing where they will sometimes blow teams down, they'll sometimes grind you to death. Like, Do you remember their game against USF last year where it was like 28-7 and it really should have been a lot wider of a margin where those two teams were at? So there's a tendency that Cincinnati has to kind of, I don't want to say play to their competition because that's not what they do, but they don't necessarily always blow you out. Of course, then they beat SMU by like 40. So who knows? Uh, no, Cincinnati wins by 20 plus points. I think, team. yeah, I think Cincinnati at least boat I think races them here. Conservatively, Cincinnati wins by 20 plus points. Yep. I, uh, I agree. Um, all right. Well, so you have them at two and four, as do I. I don't I think we're going to have too much variation here. But the next game we... is an interesting one. There's two more interesting – well, maybe three. There's three more interesting games that – I don't know what the over-under is for, for Temple this year, but uh, I think that the three of these games are going to be the ones that determine if they hit the over or hit the under. And yeah. the next game is at USF. They get two weeks to prepare for this game. Um, I think USF is going to be much better this year, uh, but I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Like, where is the gap between USF and Temple? I do think that USF is the more talented team. My trouble with this game for USF, and we'll, when we get around to doing USF's uh, preview, I'll go more into detail about it then, but USF has talent, and I think Jeff Scott's doing a lot of good things, but how far along has it developed? How is it actually where it needs to be yet? They're also relying on a transfer quarterback, most likely, uh, to run the show there. There's a chance Temple wins this game. I tend to think USF is the better team, though, and should be favored as of right now. I give USF the edge just for their new locker room. Oh, yeah, you saw that? That was nice. Yeah, Can't really. Not new locker, locker rooms are hard to screw up. I've yet to see one that I was like, "That's hideous." So, I mean, you got to you yeah. they all the bells and whistles for the most part. Some obviously they like, have like the LSU cryogenic chamber pods well, and a PS five for every locker. Right? Yeah, you're not gonna um, you're not, not gonna cool. get but yeah. that. But no, there yeah. it's a good locker room for an AAC school, though. Yeah, it's it's solid. Um, then uh, next week, another boat race that they're not gonna love. It's at home, yeah. so that's that's again the, being at home. I, I hate that home field advantage for Temple means that no one's going to be at the game because 
I think we both in agreement. This is a two and five team and yeah. no one, no one already wants to watch temple football for the most part. They have a whole Philadelphia Eagles stadium to try and fill up, which they I, never do. It's my favorite thing in the world is when I'm watching a college football game, the Philadelphia Eagles logos on midfield, like, kind of faded because they didn't repaint it that week because right. it was a college game. Right. Yeah. Or when they've got like the Eagles and like the temple like in, in zones over uh overlapping each other. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's I, I don't. World. It's yeah, it's too bad. Um but yeah, yeah. at least people get to watch a fun UCF offense at that yeah, point. No, not to get sidetracked about the stadium. I know Temple's been trying to get a new and their own on campus stadium built and has had trouble with permitting and all that fun stuff and funding, but yeah, they absolutely need to get out of the link. It's just such a bad atmosphere. Yeah, Same it's as like, why USF. would you want to go to that? If you're a college kid, no, it's like when USF fans get brag about, Oh, we play at Raymond James stadium. It's like, but what's the appeal to that? It's not near campus. It's harder for students to get to. It's often completely empty because you can't fill it up. Like, right. It's, it's a bad look. I know it's gotten comfier chairs than bleacher seats, but like, that's right. about it. Yeah. It's like, I mean, obviously UCF fans like to insult USF in their stadium, yeah. but it's more just like, you got to think about your student base and your, the, you know, support your fan base. On campus. Yes. There's no way around. Yes. I'd rather, I know that the jokes about the bounce house are that it's like a tin can that's going to fall down any day now, whatever. It's so much more fun to go see a game there than it was at the Citrus Bowl. It just is. Yep. You know what I mean? The I Citrus agree. Bowl is bigger, probably a little bit nicer, but who cares? Yep. Anyways, so, anyways they're going to lose by a lot to UCF, yes. Right. So two and six, uh, do they stand a chance at ECU? I say no because I'm high on the Pirates. You are not a sold. I'm going to convince you that Holton Nailers is the real deal. And I. So I like the Pirates. I like ECU to go about six and six this year. And that means they have to be Temple to get to six and six, especially for a home game. Oh no, they're remember they're beaten. They're going to be five and seven or five and six. They're beating Cincinnati at the end of the year. I'm telling you, they're it's not happening. unless it's unless Cincinnati has a COVID outbreak and has to. Hey, you said not. that Holt Naylor is going to throw for like a thousand yards, and that's going to still lose. No, nope, they're, they're going <laughs> to yeah, they're going to lose. They're going to lose eighty to seventy nine. No. It's just like oh, with any ECU game, it's. Some games Holton Ailer shows up and throws 80 yards and three interceptions. The next week he'll throw for 400 yards. I know this about him. He better show up and just be good against Temple because you, at this point in his career, he needs to be more consistent against that type of team. Yeah, I and, agree. You know, probably not against Cincinnati. Well, and yeah, I agree. Um, so okay, so then let's we'll quickly wrap this up here. Do they do they win either Houston or at Tulsa? I don't see there's a way that they win either of those games. Unless only, Dana's just only, given up on Houston. I was going to say, there's ways that they win, but that's so far into the season that teams, different stuff happens to teams injury-wise. Yeah, hypothetically, Houston could quit by then if it's going poorly and the locker room tunes Dana out. Hypothetically, Tulsa, who lost all the key players in secondary and starting quarterback, could have an awful time replacing that and struggle more than... I think a lot of people might expect them to, but no, right now the Houston and Tulsa are the clear favorites. Yeah, I agree. Um, which is, wow, this is rough. So then uh, Navy, I think because we've already previewed Navy and we've talked about this, if Navy is who we think they're going to be and they're back on track, 
Temple loses this game, not even a question. Uh, but if Navy still hasn't figured things out, if their offense can't move the ball like it couldn't last year, then mm-hmm. that's when this game gets interesting for Temple. Yeah, but I mean, I agree with that, except Navy couldn't move the ball last year and they still beat Temple last year. You know, true. It's, and that was at Navy in all fairness. But then again, last year's COVID, how much stock do we put in? I just don't see. I, I'm high on Navy. I'm not like bullish on Navy winning like eight games or anything like that, but I'm high on Xavier Arline, their quarterback. I think he's going to be a good fit for that system once he's got it, once he gets it down a little bit more, you know, pat. So no, I, I think Navy's the better team. I think Navy's the better coach team. I think Navy is the more disciplined team. I think they're the, I know, I just think they're going to win the game is what my gut tells me. And then where I'm at two and 10 is what I'm at for uh, Temple. Is that your floor? God, it better be the floor. I hope you, it's the floor. You can't, you can't lose to Akron. I think they're going to be at the floor, and I think it's two and ten. What's the ceiling for you? Is it four and eight, or is it three and nine? It's three and nine. Maybe we we'll find a conference win somewhere in Oof. there, either Oof. USF, Navy. If it doesn't work out, like I said, there's games you could hypothetically win if things go your way. But no, I. I I feel very confident this is a two and ten football team. Yep. Which again, it's nothing personal against Temple. I've got almost no feelings either way about them. It's just a calling it as I see it kind of thing. There you go. All right. Well, let's flip to now. We're gonna to flip to the other side of the conference. We're gonna to flip to a team that is one of my picks to actually compete for a conference championship. I mm-hmm. think they might actually be in the conference championship game when it's all said and done. And that is the SMU Mustangs. Obviously last year, the offense kept humming along as usual, uh, but Sonny Dykes has really stepped it up a notch in the mm-hmm. off season, bringing in uh, signing two four-star recruits, uh, if you look at ESPN, one of them was a five-star star, the number 12 overall uh, prospect or recruit in the country, according to ESPN. And then he added some talent to compete this year as well. Uh, you know, you look at Tanner Mordecai, we've talked about him a bunch. Uh, he brought in Grant Calcaterra. Two, those two are former Oklahoma transfers. He brings in basically just brings in talent to kind of fill some holes and he gets back arguably outside of quarterback. You could make an argument that SMU has one of the most talented offenses in all of college football. Oh, absolutely. They're the skill positions at SMU are absolutely kind of grossly loaded, probably the best skill positions in the conference top to bottom. I don't think that's a debate, is it? I don't think so. No, I know UCF likes to point it, you know, at its skills positions, but there's a lot of transfers coming in there, a lot of questions. Memphis, same thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, Ulysses Bentley, the fourth, as a freshman last year in, you know, a shortened season due to COVID, nearly had 1,000 yards rushing, plus, you know, nearly another 200 receiving. I think he's a 1,500 yards all-purpose guy next year pretty easily especially if in the start of the year while they're figuring out the quarterback situation, if they go to him a little bit more frequently, Reggie Roberson, he's coming off that injury, but on his career, he's got over 2000 yards receiving. And I think he's probably the best wide receiver in the conference when he's healthy, certainly capable of it. At least the ceiling is 
Then you got Rasheed Rice, who another guy who just had a fantastic year last year. You mentioned Grant Calcaterra coming over from Oklahoma too. It's a solid offensive line. Really, the only question about the offense is who's the quarterback, which I'm pretty sure will be Tanner Mordecai. I think you go with his experience and his time at the college level over the true freshman, though Preston Stone does have a high ceiling uh, in his own right. Yeah, it's going to be uh, – I don't know if I'm – you said Bentley you think is going to be a 1,500-yard? All, pur- all purpose, not rushing, all purpose. All purpose. Okay. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. I think just because that, that backfield is loaded – they're super deep. Um, they so are. that's my only concern with there, but I agree that Bentley's the dude on that, on that group. Uh, and then you mentioned Roberson. The only question I have with him is, can he stay healthy? That's a big key. Uh, the offense kind of took a little bit of a step back in terms of explosiveness last year when he was out. Rice is still a solid option. Danny Gray, if he can learn how to catch the football with his hands and not his body, will be an absolute monster because he the has Jacob Harris problem. The bla- yeah, the blazing speed. Um, the only thing with Danny Gray is that like he doesn't drop the gimmies. He's not like one of those that's wide open and then you're like, oh well, good luck catching the ball. It's just that he <laughs> is in traffic and tries to catch things with his chest more sometimes. And so that's my only concern with him, but he is a game changer in terms of his speed. Like we've talked about with this team, it's all going to come down to the defensive side of the ball. And while yes, there's concerns about Tanner Mordecai, honestly, Tanner Mordecai, if you know, I, I assume he's going to win the job. I don't think Preston Stone's going to come in and win. Uh, but I think that really all that Mordecai has to do is if he's not good, just turn around, hand it off to whoever's in the backfield with you, whether that's Bentley or someone else, TJ McDaniel, Trey Siggers, Ryan Levine, whoever, or you just have to get the ball in the hands of Roberson, Rice, Danny Gray, Calcaterra. You, like you just have to be there's, a distributor. Yeah, no, there should be someone open on every play, even if you have to settle for dinks and dunks while people adjust to the system or find their roles at the quarterback position. There's there's too much talent not to have options on how to get the ball out to them. You know, yep. so I, I'm not concerned about the offense at all. Like you said, the defense needs to figure it out. They're bringing in USF legend, uh, perhaps a little bit infamous at times, Jim Levitt as the new DC. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll remember he was the head coach at USF for like a decade plus, got them ranked number two in the country for a week. It was important. Then he hit a kid and got fired. Not to say that, uh, you know, he's not a very good coach, X's and O's, but that's what people in the conference will remember him from at the very least. He was at FAU last year, and that FAU defense was very, very good. So he still has it. Yep. And I think that's what SMU fans are hoping that they get out of him uh, because this has been a defense that has struggled for so long. And it's been a defense that's kind of let them down in big moments. And with the teams that they're going to play this year, while they don't, I don't think they're going to be elite by any means. I don't think that anybody is really going to be elite except for Cincinnati. This is still a defense that will need to find a way to turn the ball over back to yep. their offense. And if you have to win games 55 or 56, whatever to 30 something, then you have to do that. And you just have to take yeah. the 2017 UCF approach of score as many points as you can and just have your defense get a couple yeah. stops here and there. 
Yeah. Uh, there's three basic things that they can do to be successful. And I'm going to say basic, which is not fair to them because actually accomplishing them is much harder than being basic. The first is tackles for loss. You don't have to do it every play, but once every six plays, let's say, if you can get a sack or some sort of tackle for loss that throws the offense out off sync, it does wonders for keeping teams from going down scoring. Uh, then you mentioned it. You need to get turnovers, force turnovers, take the ball away and you'll be okay. And the third thing to me is you have to stop teams in the red zone. You can't give up big plays. You need to, if they are going to score on you, you need them make them march it downfield. And once they get to the red zone, force field goals instead of touchdowns. Those three basic things that are really not that basic in reality. If you can do them, it's okay. If you give up 500 yards a game, it really is. Yep. It's uh it seems like a simple formula, but obviously it's much more difficult to execute on that formula than it is just to talk about it. Well, Sonny Dice has been making a ton of noise. Like we said, the things he's been doing on the off season club takeaway is one of the best turnover celebrations in all of college oh, yeah. football. Oh, yeah. uh, I think it's one, it's definitely top five for me. Uh, it's just, there's a lot of excitement around this program for the first time since the eighties or whenever they were cheating and, Doing all the things like getting Don't cars. And, they could very well be cheating and getting cars now. You never that's know. true. You know what? NIL, baby. There's a little bit less cheating, I guess, involved in that because it's legal. But uh, yeah, they yeah. could definitely, yeah, right. Maybe cash flow. We know is their still donors are willing. Going Right. Yeah. Maybe cash flow is still going on under the table. But I think everybody thinks that this is, and if not, I'm, I'll be surprised to hear why people aren't high on them, but I think this is a team that everybody's excited about. And now because we've talked so positively about SMU and not as much about temple, let's flip it to uh, the concern side. What is a record? Not the, not the floor. Don't give the floor away. Like you try to do with temple. What is a record that, people might get concerned with for Sonny Dykes. Less than nine wins. And that's without looking at the schedule. That's off the top of my head, less than nine wins. I think a nine and three record in the regular season, you'd say, okay, I think eight and four, you'd be like, Ooh, there were some issues there. You know, and I think a lot of it depends on what it looks like. Like if halfway through next season, the record's pretty good, but you're going, man, that offense really looks like it was mostly Shane Bouchelle the last couple of years and not really Sonny Dykes' system. That could give you a few concerns, even if they're still winning. If the defense hasn't improved at all and has potentially regressed, which I don't think they'll do, I think the defense will at worst be as good as they were last season and probably a little bit better. But if you know that defense is getting worse and those games really are 56 to 49 wins instead of maybe 56 to 38 wins, you know, I think that you've got another concern there that you're going, man, it's still very scary. Uh, so I, I think it's more of a, a visual thing than a ex- significant number, but I think eight and four is right around that point where you go, there's some issues to work on. Yeah, I'm okay with them scoring 50 plus points a game and giving up 30. I'm, I'm cool with that. It's well, just... if, they, if they can do that, that's great. I don't know right. if they can do that. <laughs> I mean, Memphis and UCF did it the last couple of years. And obviously Cincinnati kind of changed the formula last year. But I, I to me, I'm, I'm all about, <laughs> yeah, obviously everyone wants Alabama where you're scoring a million points and you're running basically one man routes to Devonte Smith and let him score mm-hmm. and then play really, really good defense on this at the same time. But 
Uh, to me, when you look back at some of the most exciting group of five teams, you look at, you know, I mentioned UCF and Memphis. You look at the Hawaii teams when they were scoring a billion points, they weren't exactly stopping anybody. They were making, they were opportunistic with their defenses, but really it was their offense putting up enough points where the other team is like, well, we either have to score 50 or we're in trouble. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I just, I'm okay. Then, I embrace that. That makes college football more yeah. fun. And that, that go score 50 approach and see if you can keep up does put a ton of pressure on the other offense, especially if the other offense doesn't have that same uh, proclivity yep. for scoring a lot of points that you do. Like you go play a, you go play Cincinnati team. And if you can actually throw on that secondary, it's going to put a lot of pressure on Desmond Ritter, who's not used to needing to score more than 28 or so of a game. Exactly. Um, all right. Well, I'm ready to dive into the schedule because uh you know, we talked about this before when we both looked at the schedule, we were kind of thinking that maybe we had recorded this. So if we've, if you were listening to this and you already heard us go through the SMU preview, then we apologize. Um, we're doing it again because that's just, I guess what they deserve. Um, but I'm going to just, we'll start with this and then we'll kind of dive in to the details of each game. But honestly, I could see another year, and now that I think about it, we definitely either talked about this in detail or recorded this and just forgot to post it because I remember talking about they were 8-0 going into the Memphis game in 2019, mm-hmm. and they lost. And I the see came off a, a very good chance that they're 8-0 going into what game would that be? Then? The Memphis the, game. The Memphis game. It would be, game, a, I, yeah. be at the Liberty Bowl. Yeah. And not at the exact same situation. I don't, I think that right. Memphis is going to be seven and one like they were, but I think that that's very interesting. I think they, the bigger story for there, if SMU is at that point, would be next week if they're nine and oh, going to host UCF and then going to Cincinnati after that. Yeah. That last stretch is, is rough. It's a tough one. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a chance the wheels fall off at the end if they don't quite have the uh, <laughs> have the ponies to keep up. Exactly. <laughs> Got Look at you, nice, nice. Well, so okay, Abilene Christian is obviously a win. Don't really have Check to dive off. into that. We're both in agreement, one and all. Yeah. North Texas, we think is going to be a win. win. Uh, you know, unless. North Texas finds a way to kind of revive what yeah. they were last year. Uh, it, I don't I see it, but to be honest, I think Seth Luttrell, the moment uh, Graham Harrell left for USC was all of a sudden very much. Past no, that was all Mason fine. Thank you very much. It doesn't have anything to do with Graham Harrell. I think he's been passed to sell by date since Graham Harrell. Left. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, yeah. It could be an interesting game. I think at best, this is a shootout uh, because you or North Texas has figured out, a few things on the offensive side of the ball. They found their quarterback, but I think that's the best case scenario is that North Texas loses a shootout and maybe not even wins by double digits. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a heavily in favor of SMU. And then you Mm -hmm. go the next week uh, at Louisiana tech, which would be a very interesting game because that's the week, uh, the week before Mm -hmm. a very tricky game for them. And not just that it's the sunny Dykes bowl. Uh, of yes. Um, yeah. Wow. I don't, I, I think that's a tougher game than North Texas, but I still think that if SMU is the team that we think they're going to be, 
they're three and I don't think there's any question about that. And if they can avoid trying to look ahead to TCU the next week, they're definitely three and zero. And then you get what I think uh, is going to be one of the more exciting games in college football. And it's the Dan Morrison bowl because he gets to prove to everybody that Tanner Mordecai is a better quarterback than Max Dugan or Max Duggan, however you say his name. Uh, so I don't hate Max Duggan. I know you think I do. No, I, I don't think, think Tanner- you hate him. I just, I'm very surprised that you think Tanner Mordecai who hasn't played, who hasn't started a single a game, higher ceiling. I have just, yeah, that's ceiling. very interesting to me. I'm okay I, with I, that though. I think Max Duggan does a few things well. He's a good athletic quarterback who runs very well. I think he's incredibly inconsistent, though. I, he'll come out one game, usually against Texas, and look like a world beater. And then the next week, he might play at Kansas State, and it's just a frustrating experience to watch. And I don't think that until he proves that he can be consistent, no, I don't think that he's one of those top quarterbacks that a lot of Horned Frogs, Horned Frogs fans want him to be. And he's just not there yet. And, you know, part of that is I believe he had some sort of heart issue a couple of years ago that I think set him back a little bit in his development, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I hope I'm not mistaken because that's a big thing to get wrong if I am. But <laughs> uh, no, but I, I like him. I just don't think that he's the better quarterback in that matchup. Yeah, that's it's going to be a fun one. I think that's going to be I think TCU is a much better team this year. I think that offense is going to be excited to watch. And I think that both defenses are in for a long night or if it's in the afternoon, a long afternoon. Did you watch Red River last year? Yes. Remember when Spencer Rattler had to get pulled from the game so that Tanner Mordecai could go in and Tanner Mordecai lit a fire under Oklahoma's butts because he was clearly the better quarterback that day. That's true. He was, he only played in like four games total, but Mordecai was elite in every game he played. And I know it's the Lincoln Riley offense. I know that they had more talent there, but he's at an offense now that's designed to put up a lot of yards and stuff. So I, again, not it's, to over defend Tanner Mordecai here, but right. Well, and it's similar, it's similar to the system that he ran in Oklahoma, you know, so it's, there's not as much of a learning curve other than, you know, the terminology and the verbiage. So mm-hmm. it, there's definitely something to that. I don't think you're way off base with what you're saying. So um, I don't think we have to talk too much about the next two games. So I think at, at this point at best, we're sitting at six and zero, and at worst, we're sitting at five and one, unless I just don't see the wheels falling off where they lose to anybody besides TCU in those first six games. No, there'd have to be a significant issue to lose to anyone but TCU. And even then, I again, I think SMU is the better team. Yep. So, uh, and then I, I six and zero, but we'll yeah. say five and one, six and zero. Yeah. Uh, and then you have a team that. I have no idea what they're going to be. I they're it's a very experienced team. There's plenty of depth. I just don't know what the ceiling is as we discussed in the Houston preview, but they travel to Houston October 30th and then they travel to Memphis November wait, 6th. Wait, wait. You're skipping Tulane. I'm skipping Tulane. I apologize. That's not roll yeah, roll wave. Come on. Okay, let's roll it back then. Okay. So, Tulane October 21st. I scrolled too far. I apologize. Yeah, well, Tulane, a team that is well, good it does us. Uh, that's what happens when you go on vacation for too long. You're just trying to skip through everything. Like, let's get this <laughs> over with. But no, Tulane, another team that is uh it'll be fun. A very underrated team in the conference. I think it's gonna be 
another game that could be very exciting, very uh, high scoring. Uh, both offenses have a ton of talent returning, mm-hmm. and this could be another one that's high, like I said, high scoring, a shootout. Um, another game that I think I don't. The line's going to be three or less either way. It's going to be a fun over to bet is what it's going to be. Oh yeah. Whatever it is, you're, unless it's like 95 points, you're probably betting the over. And even then yeah. you're probably still betting the over. Yeah, I know. I'm, I think it'll be a shootout, but I think SMU should win because they do have more, a little bit more skill talent than Tulane does. Though I am high on Michael Pratt. Yeah. I think you, uh, you, me, and a lot of people now are starting to get word that Michael Pratt probably going to have a good year. Um, so that leaves the door open for Tanner Mordecai to remind everybody that he's a dude too. All right. So now what I was trying to get to before Dan interrupted rudely, uh, the two, there's two road games to Houston, a team, like I said, don't really know what they're going to be. And then a team in Memphis who we think is going to be in a little bit of a down year. Uh, I don't see, uh, Mm -hmm. It's a tough three-game stretch before a really tough three-game stretch. I think yeah. it's kind of an underrated tough stretch, but I don't. I don't I think, know if there's a way where they slip up two two times at, here. So the, at this point, we're into late October, early November on the season. We'll know who everyone is a little bit better by that point. But I mean, there's a chance that the wheels have either fallen off Houston or they've found something magical by this point. Uh, there's also the chance that they're just completely average, which is where I think they'll be more or less. Uh, SMU's just got a ton more talent than them at a very raw level, not to make it too, too superficial of a reason to win, but they're just the more talented team. I think right now that they're, they're the team that's a little bit more bought into the coaching staff that they have there. And they're a lot more proven as of right now. So I'm going to, I think I know the answer, but do you think that, Tanner Mordecai is a better, uh, well, you probably think he's better than Clayton tune. Do you think he's better? Not ceiling. Do you think he's better than Clayton tune? Yes. Yes. So Clayton tune to me is the, the epitome of an average college quarterback. He does a lot of things. Well, he's, you know, more athletic every time I watch him play than I remember him being, I think he's got a pretty good arm. I think his decision making is terrible at times. And it's just absolutely atrocious. I think he's got a really bad offensive line in front of him that leaves him out to dry. I think he's losing his best wide receiver, right? So again, those aren't necessarily his fault, but they're going to contribute to what he looks like on the field. They're going to contribute to quick, incorrect decisions. And I think that's his biggest issue is quick, incorrect decisions. And I don't know that that is something he's going to grow out of because it's been a couple of years like that now. Yeah. It's a, It'll be interesting. So what tune can do. And then where, if Mordecai is a dude where they lead, because if he is, and we say that, say that they are nine and oh, at this point, here's where it gets interesting because to me, I'm, I'm high on UCF under Gus Malzahn. I'm high on Cincinnati. I don't think there are many people that think that the world is ending for either of those programs. However, I will say that, this is a, t- a UCF team that finished six and four last year, as we all know. Yeah. And they face a non-conference yep. schedule. That's not like not easy, but it not exactly. I think it's a fun non-conference schedule. R- correct. And but yeah, it's not uh, I a didn't go, I didn't go through their schedule. So I can't remember 
who UCF has will have played at this point, but there is a chance that this is a beat up UCF team. That's still trying to find their way, trying to rise up a little bit. And then Cincinnati, again, this is a very specific scenario, but there is a situation where SMU is nine and oh UCF is struggling to kind of figure things out under a new system. And Cincinnati has to play Indiana and Notre Dame and say that they lose one or both of those games. There is a chance that SMU could definitely win both of these games. Now they're going to have to probably play one of those two teams again, but I mm-hmm. just looked at this and I I'm thinking if the SMU, it has a way where they're nine and oh, and these two teams are struggling then suddenly it's SMU running the conference and not either of those two teams. I mean, yeah, hypothetically in that scenario where UCF doesn't Go along adjust. with my fun, Dan. Come on. Hypothetically in that scenario where UCF doesn't adjust to Gus Malzahn perfectly, which is possible. I won't deny that. New coaches, you never know. You know, UCF has a lot of transfers at the skill positions, especially as well. A very young secondary. There's things there that could contribute to some difficulty in the transition. Eric and I just talked about some of those things last, uh, whenever we last recorded. Uh, At that point, though, I really, I think UCF's got two losses at the most and only one loss in conference at the most at that point, just with what I know of their schedule. Uh, And that loss would be to Cincinnati that I would have them down for sure having, and maybe you lose at Louisville, uh, maybe Boise state, you know, it's tough to say right now because they've got a new coach too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cincinnati, I do not see losing to both Notre Dame and Indiana. I think they win at least one of those. I don't see them losing in conference. So I think, I think UCF's the harder one to tell right now because there are a lot of X factors to does Dylan Gabriel adjust to a new system are the wide receivers on par with what they've been in the past. You know, like I said, the secondary is, I think, talented, but so raw, it's going to be rough, especially in the first half of the season. Right. Uh, There's definitely questions there, but Cincinnati, I don't have that many questions about, and I think that's going to be an issue for SMU because it was bad last year. It's going to be bad this year when they have to go to Cincinnati. Yeah. And this, uh, the, the, SMU wide receivers, pass catchers versus Cincinnati secondary is going to be so much fun to watch. Yeah. What Cincinnati has been able to do, at least under Marcus Freeman, who's now at Notre Dame, no longer they've got a, what's his face now? Mike Trestle. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say they've got an Ohio State guy there now, shockingly enough. Or I guess Trestle's really a Michigan State guy, but his name's Trestle, so Ohio State. There you go. (laughs) Uh, no. Anyways, they what they would do very well is they would play man coverage and against say Hypel, who really needed to win one-on-one battles, they could win those one-on-ones in man and no one would be open. There'd be no options. Uh that's what they did a little bit to SMU and that air raid style offense last year was they kind of press, pushed you in the face and said, Where are you gonna go? And SMU couldn't go anywhere. You can't use your speed if you can't get off the ball. And that's going to once again be it. If they can't get off the ball, if teams can't get off the ball in Cincinnati, you're in trouble. And that secondary has got good, good corners. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And safeties are good too. Even if they, even though they lost two starters, they got the best I mean, known defensive lineman in the, in the uh, conference. Yep. And, it's, there's just so much to like their linebackers are loaded. The defensive line is loaded. It's just like one thing. It's going to be cold another. too. 
I know it gets cold in Dallas, but it's going to be real nasty weather yep. in Cincinnati. Yep. So, so that's going to be interesting. Uh, but I think that has the potential to be, there's a lot of games on the schedule. I'm realizing if SMU is who we think they are, there's a lot of exciting games for the Mustangs this year. Mm-hmm. And then say that somehow they are 11 and one, 10 and two, or not 11 and one, they'd be 10 and one uh, or maybe two or three losses. I think that's a little bit unrealistic to have three, uh, but now I think 10 and two is the, I think you should expect 10 and two on the schedule. Yeah. I Um, think you lose to Cincinnati and then you lose to either TC or UCF as a safe bet. I think nine and three is not unreasonable. And then, like I said earlier, you get down to eight and four or so, and you're going, Oh, there was something that wasn't quite clicking against teams this year. Right. So I guess we'll go right in with that. So I, to me, the ceiling to me is 12 and 0. I think this team is very capable of winning 12 games. I'm going to say 11 and one is the ceiling. And the reason for that is you need to prove it against Cincinnati first because yep. they haven't proven that they can beat that top level team. They haven't proven they can win those big games yet under Sunny Dykes. So I just want to, I want to say prove it first. That's why I'm saying 12 and 0 is because I, it's, it's one of those, it's not like ECU where their ceiling is so high and their floor is so low, but this mm-hmm. is definitely a high ceiling, low floor kind of team. So I see that they could go 12 and 0. That's definitely realistic for them. But then the floor to me, what's the floor to you? Well, like I said, uh, TCU, UCF, Cincinnati are the three definite games you could lose. And then there's a bunch of games that I'd say are a maybe. Tulsa's a maybe, depending on how they adjust to life with a new quarterback and new secondary. And no, you know, just the turnover on that team. We've yet to see how that'll work out. Uh, Memphis, there is still a lot of talent there, you know, so you never know. So I, like we just, we just talked about Tulane being a possible shootout that we're high on. There, you know, those are all games they hypothetically could lose because this is football and anything can happen. Seven and five is the floor for me. And I was gonna I say was, seven and five is the floor. I was gonna say, and that would be a disaster if they went seven and that five. would be rough, but it's not out of the question, just like 12 and 0 is not out of the question either. I think a realistic floor is eight and four, but I think that if you're if you're like going actual disaster season, so the extremes of SMU right now are very much 12 and 0 ceiling seven and five floor. And that's the reality of it until Sonny Dex proves otherwise. And he's doing what he can uh, off the field. And he just needs to prove that his team's going to win big games. But it's, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's been very bad for SMU. Every time they play a bowl game, a major, like, you know, the best game they had that was a major game, quote unquote, was the game day game at Memphis, and they still lost that by a chunk at exactly. the end of it. Yeah. So yeah. they they're they're there. They're getting to those points. They just have to find a way to take that next step to to get to the next level and prove that they can be a conference contender because we haven't seen them do that in the AAC yet. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So hey, that's good. it for uh that's it for SMU. That's it for Temple and SMU. Um, hopefully people don't hate us too much for temple and, uh, hopefully we gained a lot of love for the the Mustangs there, but, uh, you can follow me, uh, at Joe Broback. You can follow Dan at Dan underscore score Morrison 96. Uh, and you know, we're going to keep chugging away. We got three more teams to go over and, uh, it's going to be football season pretty soon.
Absolutely. Can't wait. I'm, I'm excited. Can't wait for it to be here. Uh, you know, as we're recording now, the Hall of Fame game uh, is going on, which is a complete waste of time. Dan and I agree preseason football is not worth it. And uh, college football does it right because they just jump right into the real games where they actually matter. Absolutely. All right. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Underdog Podcast and uh, horns down. Horns down.